There they are again, my friends from Bushwick. It's time for the Brooklyn Paper Radio Show. I'm your host, Gersh Kunstman of the New York Daily News, along, of course, with Vince DiMaselli, editor-in-chief of the Brooklyn Paper. We are live from, <laughs> excuse me, Vince, I got very excited. We are live from the Brooklyn Paper Building in downtown Brooklyn. We have got an unbelievable show for you, Vince. Do you even know what kind of show we have for them? I hear this is the greatest show ever. Well, we're gonna, we got a lot of things. We're going to obviously talk about the Spanish election, which gets an oh, important, we gotta, we totally gotta, a shout-out. we got to talk about that. We're going to talk about who the perfect woman is. We're going to talk about the Mass Brothers controversy. We're going to talk to Mel Brooks. Well, we're really going to talk at Mel Brooks, and maybe he'll call in. Possibly. But we do have an exclusive interview with filmmaker Michael Moore, documentary filmmaker, has a new movie coming out called Where to Invade Next. He sat down with Gersh and Vince. I'm Gersh. That's Vince. That's Vince, me. how are you feeling? I start every show by saying... How you feeling? It was a busy weekend and an even busier day, Gersh. I don't know how I'm going to get through this show. Let what do you t- mean? How are you going to get through this show? It's the shortest day of the That's, year. I'm looking out the window. Therein lies the problem. It's already dark out. The days keep getting shorter. I have more and more work to do. When are the days going to start to get longer so I can get my job done? Today. They're going to start getting longer today. Tonight's the night? Tonight's the night. Oh, thank God. The shortest day of the year is upon us and gone as far as I'm concerned. So I'm downstairs coming mm. into the show because I come into the show a little early. Got to get some notes, got to get some coffee. I'm drinking my Starbucks. Yeah, coffee's important. Downstairs, a lady is looking for nine Metro Tech Center. And I'm like, well, don't you want the Brooklyn Paper Building? She says, no, I want nine. Now, I don't know where nine Metro Tech no, Center. No These idea. fake addresses drive you nuts. She says, I've got to go over to the fire department to take my test. Hmm. And I'm like, lady, if you can't tell nine Metro Tech Center... I don't really want you on the fire department, you know what I mean? Because no, you gotta know there's all these fake addresses now. New no. York Plaza. No, if you're working for the fire department, you gotta know where the addresses are and you gotta be able to get there because that's your job. But as she's walking away, I had that thought about how she shouldn't be a firefighter. Mm-hmm. But I looked at her and said, you know what? She's a good looking woman. Hmm. And it reminded me of this morning. I, did you see this story on The Gothamist? I, I love The Gothamist. The, well, I do like The Gothamist on occasion, except when we're feuding. And we are often feuding. It happens sometimes. Anyway, they had a story that in 1912, the New York Times, which at that time thought of itself as the paper of record, hmm. the New York Times, Vince, ran a story. The headline was Cornell, Cornell co ed girl. Sorry, call, call. I can't even say it. You want me Can to read, you read it for that me? headline? Call Cornell Coed the perfect girl. So basically what they did is they did a, a survey of 400 fresh women. They, I guess they called them freshmen back yeah, then. Yeah, back then they liked to do that. In the freshman class, they, they, they assayed all of their shapes, their sizes, their, what do you call them, their measurements, Jimmy. They call them like the measurements of a woman, like 36, 24, 36. Yeah. Anyway. That was oh. my locker combination. <laughs> it's a senior in high school. Hard to remember. Yeah. The winner was Miss Elsie Scheel of Brooklyn. She was deemed, quote, the most nearly perfect specimen of womanhood mm-hmm. out of 400 other co-heads. So I was thinking, Vince, it, it just, look at some of these measurements. She was, she was 35, 30, 40, hmm. weighing, quote, a healthy 171 pounds hmm. and decidedly pear-shaped. That's interesting. 35, 30, 40. I heard she ate uh, beefsteaks. That was her mainstay. Her mainstay of her cuisine was beefsteak. She true. did not like candy. So she was on the early paleo diet, from what I gather. And it made me think, I'm starting the show by coming in here and saying, Vince, what's the perfect woman to you? You just do it. We're ramping up the sexism. Do it. I would say that it's a little bit smaller. You say a little bit smaller? Yeah, a little bit smaller. 35, 30, 40. Yeah, it seems I'd go a little, I'd definitely go a little bit smaller. But it it reminds me that the the beefsteak, 
just to take this in a completely oh, different direction. Need a beef steak. I love going to any place that advertises steaks and chops. Steaks and chops and is that's, nice. That, that kind of dates back to that. But I do love a woman that will come with me and have some steaks and chops, if you know she, what I mean. She rarely ate breakfast hmm. and never drank tea or coffee. No, She's not the perfect no. woman in that respect. No, no, no. But I got to say, woman who loves steak. To me, I like that voluptuous size. Jimmy, you got a picture of that voluptuous size? See if you can bring that up. Okay, we're a radio show. He's Look, telling me can, I can't do it. It says here, she's never been ill and doesn't know what fear is. Doesn't know what, that's another doesn't thing. No idea. Doesn't know what fear is. So really? they, we're not just objectifying women here. We're talking about all the different things they bring to the table. But you know, anyway, the New York Times ran this as the perfect woman. I don't know how they get away with that kind of sexism. <laughs> I just love the fact that you can go back and read all these Times articles. It, it, I'm fascinated by it. I'll go back and read stuff. I'll just like pick a day in the 1950s and see what was happening. It's yeah, in a, the old days, we had to go to the library and oh, get the microfiche. Man. Not oh. the microfilm. No, the microfiche. You could sometimes they had bind, you know, bound copies. I used to when I was in when I was in college. I used to go into the library at St. John's University and read the old Sports Illustrated. They had the actual old Sports Illustrated all bound together from the fifties, like the original copy of Sports Illustrated, the Mickey Mantle. How was the swimsuit issue from back then? You know what? It started later on, but I did I did go through those as well. You know, I when I was at college, I used to go to the St. John's University Library, even though I didn't go to St. John's. All right, anyway, we got to get out, Jimmy. We got to talk about what was in the morning papers today because it was amazing, amazing. I read the oh, he's got the song. Wow. Nice job, Jimmy. He's done it again. That's our friend Jimmy and the Revolvers uh, giving us the morning paper song. Did you? Now, s- let's just be clear. Jimmy and the, Revolver, the Revolvers and Jimmy, our producer, are two different people. They are. They are. Okay. But it's a good song, and I love that morning paper. You're going to hear more about that later. Yeah. Vince, did you see this in the morning papers today? Paul McCartney, legendary Beatle. You, Jimmy, you remember when Paul McCartney was in the Beatles? That was this band before Wings. You can, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Paul McCartney was at a Brooklyn Nets game the other night, and you got to look at this, did he, Vince. Did he I'm going to play did it for do, Vince. Did he do national anthem. Can you get this on there, Jimmy? Oh, we're a radio show. God. Well, anyway, he's dying to get a T-shirt during the T-shirt toss. Oh. And his eyes, his eyes are as like big as as as, oh. as those big carnival uh, lollipops. Look how excited he is. They're throwing the, the, the shirt to him. They miss him by about two bodies. He's and just he is, so disappointed. He is not happy about that. How do you that. think Sir Paul looks now? He looks old. He, he looks old. He doesn't look like the, the Paul McCartney that we all fell in love with. He's still the Paul McCartney I fell in love He's with. He's still cute, though. Still I want to hold his hand. Come on, a little harmony. I want to hold his hand. hand. Okay. Well, anyway. Another big story, and I read this in the Brooklyn paper, paper I used to edit. I, just so you know, little aside, I work for the Daily News now, but I used to be the editor of the Brooklyn paper, I rem- and I'm still editor emeritus. I remember when I hired you for that job, Gersh. Nice. Took, okay, I great. took you off the uh, scrap heap of New York City journalism. Well, I'm still on that scrap heap, so where are you when I need you? I'm trying my best. Anyway, the headline, and I gotta, you got to love this headline because they're going for SEO here. Hipster gaming parlor chain opening massive complex in Brooklyn. and Sorry, in Bushwick. So what? Just tell me if you could tell me a little bit about this, Vince. What is this story about? Because it pissed me off. I think the headline says it all. The all hipsters right. have taken over bowling. It's no, it, it's, it, it doesn't say bowling. It's a bowling alley. Jimmy, when was the last time you went bowling? Just show of hands. He never went bowling. He's, he's giving me the fist. He gave me the fist. Is that a zero, Jimmy? I think that's a zero. All right. He went two weeks <laughs> two ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah, but bowling it was dead. When I was a kid, I was the last generation of bowling. It died. You remember Maple Lane's dead. Yeah, you remember right. the other lane, dead. Yeah. And that one that I can't remember the name of, dead. All of those lanes, they're no longer with us. And then what happened? Now the hipsters have taken it back. How are they doing it? Brooklyn Bowl. The yeah, gutter. That's right. That one down in the village. The one on the west side. Well, I just want to say that 
I don't think that bowling was necessarily dead. I think it just it was kind of you know it was kind of shrunk down a little. You know, when I was a kid, you go to a bowling alley, it was like a hundred lanes. You know, hundred lanes, yeah, too many lanes. You, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't go that big. You know, you just needed they supersized the bowling alleys when they shouldn't have. You know, and they got too big for their britches, and now the hipsters are bringing it back. And you go in, and maybe there's ten lanes, twelve lanes, and you're happy as a clam. I got I'm not happy. Why not? Because first of all, bowling became expensive under these hipsters. Mm-hmm. I used to remember a game would be like a dollar ten, and they'd rent you the shoes for like four dollars. Now the no, shoes no, in the no. game are like ten dollars each. I remember a game being. Look like at the prices. I'm going to the website right now. You talk amongst yourself. I, I'm going. I remember going to the alley. I, I don't think the shoes were more expensive than the game itself. I remember the shoes being like fifty cents or something like that. Well, there's no there's no web link yet because they're not open. Well, the fact a, is, if I go to Brooklyn Bowl, I'm gonna Jimmy in the in the break when we we'll come back from commercial and I will tell you. How much a game at Brooklyn Bowl costs? I the, will tell you. Are the hip, have the hipsters brought back smoking? No, that's the one thing they won't do. They will not bring They're it vaping, back. though. A lot of They're vaping, vaping everything. All right, can, we you get va- out. can you vape at the bowling alley? Because that's what I, I that's what we enjoyed most, you know? You're, All that smoke in the bowling alley and the French fries. How are the, the French, French fries? The French fries are fantastic. No, the French fries, we're gonna, when we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you the cost of the French fries at Brooklyn Bowl. And I love Brooklyn Bowl. I've seen no. some great shows there. I see the annual Beatles uh, marathon. I see the Yellow Submarine there, the whole bit. You can right. talk to Lisa Mowitz, who's the human resources at here at, uh, at Brooklyn Paper, and she'll tell you bowling is far from dead. And she'll also tell you it's not only uh, the hipsters that are doing it. There's still leagues. There's still Saturday nights. And there's still those delicious French fries that get fried in the same oil that they're frying everything else. And for whatever reason, just are fantastic. Well, when you use oil so many times, it just gets that crispy, golden. Oh, and you, you know what? There's cheap Budweiser. Oh, the Budweiser is cheap. All right. Not at Brooklyn Bowl. We're gonna, like after Bill the Basin. break, I'm going to get back. But listen, we got to get out. The old Gil Hodges lanes. I don't know if you remember, we had a councilman in Brooklyn Heights named David Yasky. Now, if he's hearing this, if he's listening to me, he knows what's coming. I love the Yasky. I, I pushed him for Congress. He lost. I pushed him for controller. He lost. But that doesn't make him a loser. In fact, it makes him a winner because now he's got something that's even more important than office holding. He's got 2020 hindsight. And we're going to mm. get him on the phone right now. You talk amongst yourself while I dial him up. David Yasky, he was the Terminator. We had him on the cover once as yeah, the Terminator. Why'd we do that? I think he voted for – he voted – Against term limits? He voted against it, it against? before he was for it. He was for it, then he voted against it. No, then he voted for it, and then he voted against it. Anyway, we'll get him on the phone. Yeah, let's see. I, I hear the... Is it ringing? It is ringing. Hope is he, I hope he's going to be loud enough. Wait, I heard that. Hello? Oh, David Yasky, you're on the radio with Gersh Kunstman. I almost forgot my name for a second. Gersh yeah. Kunstman and Vince DiMaselli, former Councilman David Yasky. How are you? I'm doing great. Oh. I'm excited to talk to you. This is the thing I love about him. He's deadpan, but I know I know he's just smiling. I know he's just tapping to his ear. toes. Ear, ear to ear. Ear to ear, just grinning like a Cheshire cat. Okay, you know what we're talking about, David Yasky. You... Well, now I'm not smiling anymore because we're talking about an outrage that's being perpetrated on the people of Dumbo, Brooklyn, and New York City. Wow, well, tell us about the outrage first, and then we'll grill you like a piece of salmon. Fill us in. <laughs> well... Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, several years ago, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, who at that point owned uh, a, a quite a bit of property in, in Dumbo and in Brooklyn Heights uh, and had large operations located there, um, sought uh, from the city a rezoning um, to allow them, is what they requested, uh, to allow them to build a large kind of dormitory complex in Dumbo. Um, and, and, you know, the city's general policy is uh, 
religious organizations are entitled to, to a certain amount of deference, and um, they, if, if possible, they should be accommodated. And the, the zoning went through. Uh, I support it uh, based on the notion that it was a religious organization seeking to, um, you know, do its own operations, uh, and also based on commitments to improve a park in the area and a subway stop nearby. Hmm. Um, and what so happened? And what fast happened? Fast forward to now, um, the, the witnesses are uh, selling that property. Uh, it'll be sold presumably to a private, you know, developer that will develop it just for regular uh, uh, housing. No, no religious component to this, hmm. and um, and without having done the um, the improvements on the subway stop and the and the park that were promised. And you know, I think that honestly, what the city ought to do is go back to the, that original zoning that it was at before the the witnesses came in. Um, and let the developer who buys it come in and, and with their plan. Uh, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be able to profit from a, a proposal that they never followed through on. All right, so let, let me just make be clear on this. So this isn't just any piece of property in uh, in Dumbo. This is like a giant an entire city block. Is that correct? It's an entire city block. Sorry, yeah, that, that's yeah. Uh, this is a fairly large. You know, uh, chunk of, of territory. It's the largest uh, piece right of part of Dumbo. Yeah, it's the largest piece of undeveloped land in Dumbo, and and you're saying that that the the witnesses were supposed to uh, do some work down there in Dumbo to, to fix up some some places. Is that what you're saying? They were to accommodate all the you know the the new people that would be living on that block um, in their proposal. In the dormitory, you're saying? Yes. Did I that mean, building ever get built? As I recall, was dormitory and also. Um, other, you know, other, not 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 entirely residential, but uh, in large part residential, and also to be used for their um, their operations. They at the time, as I say, uh, the the bulk of their operations were in downtown Brooklyn. But but that building got built, right? Say again. Did that building get built? Uh, what? The, could, I'm sorry. They re- you you, you, you guys rezone the land so they could build a dormitory. That's what they proposed. Oh, that, that was, was never built? No. Correct. Oh, now they're going to sell it off, and some developer's going to come in. You got it. That's what, the idea. So wasn't there a concern back then that uh, what they wanted to build wasn't going to have ground floor retail, and what they wanted wasn't, uh, like, in keeping with the new Dumbo? It wasn't, wasn't that a, the situation back then? Very much so. I mean, but you know, what they proposed was not what would have been, uh, you know, if it had been a regular... Um, developer coming in talking about building apartments just to be rented out to the public, um, it would have been a very different process with a different result. Right. It's the um, deference to all, the religious organization. We would have insisted on some affordable housing. Second, we would have insisted on the design that was that fit the neighborhood in terms of, as you say, ground floor retail. You know, because it was a religious entity, I think I think people in government will often try, and I think it's appropriate to kind of bend over backwards to accommodate the distinctive needs of a religious organization rather than, because they are different, you know, rather than say, um, hey, you have to build just what a commercial person would build. We under, understand that they're, uh, you know, that they have their own their own distinctive needs, and you're trying to accommodate that. All right, but the, um, the good news but, is, though, whoever buys this land is not going to be a religion, and they're going to pay taxes. Oh, yeah, that's, that's for sure. That's a good thing. <laughs> so, I threw that in there. I was 
No, I like taxes, and I don't like the re- fact that religions get a tax-exempt status. I don't like it. Uh, well, uh, we can agree to disagree. You know, it offends that. my religion, David Yasky, because I'm an atheist. Yeah, I said it. I'm running for office, and I'm an atheist. What about what about um, colleges and universities, though? They certainly deserve tax breaks, right? Certainly they do, I mean, if they're public universities. Uh-oh. That's right. <laughs> I'm ramping this up because I'm a liberal, David. <laughs> so, so you're telling me that... Um, a nonprofit like you know New York University or Columbia should pay taxes on there. I, I guess we can agree to disagree. I mean, I don't know if they're think, a nonprofit. I, I think, think the NFL should come in and build a football field there. How about that? Oh, private organization. Anyway, look, that's that's all well and good, but you say you would have uh, tried to mandate some affordable housing if you knew what they were up to. But well, if it had been if it had been a regular developer coming in, of course. You would have tried, but you can't always get that. When this happened, wasn't the, weren't the witnesses already on their way out of Brooklyn? Hadn't they already unloaded a bunch of property? Didn't, didn't you guys see this coming? Uh, they had not at that time begun to sell off their holdings, no. They, uh, they hadn't sold off uh, uh, One Brooklyn Bridge Park or anything like that at this point? They had sold off One Brooklyn Bridge Park, but they had not Which yet we- sold the, the Bosser on Montague Street or their other large building um, in North Heights, nor and cer- not certainly not the the big ones with the sign on it that, you know, um, that everyone knows and identifies All right, um, let's, as the witnesses' buildings. Let's get, our, let's get us some angry letters, because I'll do it. Let's get us some angry letters. The fact is the witnesses played fast and loose with what they were going to do. That's the fact, right? Uh, you know, wh- whether they knew it at the time or not, um, what they promised they did not uh, follow through on, and the premises behind that rezoning proved to be not true. Wow. So, so, so they're not, they, they, as much as they profess to be people of the book of the Lord, they kind of were fast and loose there. I threw that in there. Yeah, you know, you, you, you did. And like I said, whether, whether, whether they knew it at the time or not, they did not follow through on the rezoning, on their promises with respect to the rezoning, or um, nor is the, is the property going to be used for the purpose that, um, they said it would, so I don't think that, that that rezoning should stand. I think the city should return it back to its original designation um, and let the next person, let the developer, whoever buys it, come in just as everybody else does anytime there's a large development proposed. All right, let, so- the, let the new person come in and say, here's what we wish to do. Um, and let it go through the regular process. All right. So that's the second time you, you made that point about it should go back to what it was. What was it and what is it now? What can actually go in now that's that's so terrible? Well, now can go in, you know, uh, I'd, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess a few thousand apartments because it, it was approved at a fairly high density. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a pretty large site. Um, although I, I, I really I haven't gone back, and this was, this was years ago, I, don't, I haven't calculated really how much could be built there um, under the new zoning. Under the prior zoning, um, much less was allowed to, in, in terms of development. No, but a lot and of I don't I don't remember the numbers, but much um, a developer can build much more now than they could prior to the prior to the rezoning. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of developers will come in anyway and say, "Hey, this is what the zoning is now. We want to build something else." I mean, what's well, that's why they should do it now before the property is sold, so mm. that any the new person, whoever, that anyone who buys it buys it, um, understanding that they're gonna that they're not buying the development rights that the witnesses uh, negotiated for. All right. And do we know what the old zoning was? What was so much? It, was it was it residential even? Because back then, you know, Dumbo was was uh, there was a lot of uh, 
you know, commercial it, and uh, manufacturing. Yeah, it, 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 may, it may not even have been a residential reason. But you hmm. know where I stand, or David Jeske. If you've yeah. listened to this show before, Gersh Kunzman has one philosophy, and that is build it and build it high. So I want a 1,000 apartments there. Yes, we should have some affordable below market rate, but I say build it high. Well, then again, we're going to have to agree to disagree, at least in the, um, uh, you know, if, if, they're, uh, if you're talking about no affordable requirements, then I would not say build it high. I would say before they, um, before they get the, the right to build there, um, there should be some affordability built in. No, no, I want, I want affordability. I want 40% affordable units, and I want the building to be 130 stories. Okay, well, right now <laughs> you will get... I don't know how many stories. It probably won't be 130, oh, but there oh. will be no zero uh, percent, not 40, not even, not 10, not 20, not 30, certainly not 40. All right, well, we 0%. agree. We agree to agree on that one, David yeah. Jasky. We agree Let's to agree. agree. To agree. All, right. All right, we, we well, got to get out. As long, get out. as long as they have the ground floor retail that that. Uh, I think every neighborhood in Brooklyn always, so desperately always needs. Always a pleasure. Yes. Listen, David Yasky, I am a huge fan. We're going to call you sometime down the road. Let's it's let's get together. I'll have a beer that you owe me and you owe Vince at least uh, two. Oh, it's, man. It's all mutual. There you go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, David Yasky. We're going to hang up on him there, Jimmy. Keep pushing to... Brooklyn forward. There you right. go. Yeah. Take care, Excelsior, David. Excelsior is what I always say. Can we hang up on him? Oh, all right. Man. I love that guy. Now, listen, we got to get out. we got to take a break because i got to look up some things while you do a cold read. I'm going to look up those facts that I told you I was going to get. That's a good idea, Gersh, because as you know, our friends over at Atlas Steakhouse offer you a unique dining experience. When you come in first, you choose your steak, and every steak is cut, aged to tender perfection on site. Then you pair it with a, a vintage from their extensive wine list or with an Atlas Steakhouse signature cocktail. I've had the cocktails. It's fantastic. You can speak from experience. I can speak from experience. You can enjoy a succulent appetizer as the master chef crafts your choice cut as you desire. So with me, that'd be medium rare. It's true. I, I always go medium rare. You're getting a little, a little blood. Yeah. Uh, and when your main course arrives, you'll understand why at Atlas Steakhouse, they always offer you a cut above the rest. Atlas Steakhouse, our beloved sponsor at Nine, 943 Coney Island Avenue. You can visit them at com. Well, anyway, I'm looking up. Thank you for that, Vince. It's very important I try information. My, I try my best, yeah. Look, <coughs> I've been looking it up. Jimmy, I don't have the numbers here, but it looks like it's like $150 per game. Well, how much is it, Jimmy? Did you get <laughs> it? Can't be. He says tw- all right, $25. Is that unlimited bowling? Per lane per half hour. So $25? Is that per person? Oh boy, Jimmy's but getting. You got to understand how money. far bowling has come. I don't even want to talk about. No, Gersh, when I was a kid, you had to keep score yourself. Now you don't have to keep score yourself. But then again, the when game. I was a kid, when I was a kid, you you got to throw the ball down the alley as many times as you liked. It was basically the honor system as far as how many games you played. And and let me tell you something about keeping score yourself. That's how I learned how to add. And you know how else I learned? I learned by playing twenty one. We call it blackjack with my dad. Hmm. And he said the first two words I learned were "hit me." Really? He said that. Mine we was, should get him on the phone. Mine was seven ten split. All right, we got to get out. I got to. The last story we got to do today before we talk to Michael Moore is we got to talk about this yuppie chocolate controversy. And to do so, I got to get Max Yeager in here. Ah, Jägermeister. <laughs> Indeed, I'm coughing a little bit because I'm so excited to get him in here. I'm calling him at eight three zero three. You can call him too. He's Max Yeager two six zero. Max. It's Gersh Kunzman of the Brooklyn Paper Radio here with Vince DiMasselli. You know him as your boss. I know him as my co-host. Get in here. All right. All right, he's coming. He's going to come in. We're going to talk about moves. the Mass Brothers. I hope, he, story. I hope he moves quicker than Mixon. Well, he's still he's right. moseying. He's moseying a little bit. Get in here. 
Yeah, Max Yeager, get in here. Put your headphones on. There he goes. Come on in here. The door. Now listen, Max Yeager, I know him as Wait, a young reporter. Gersh, we we got to get to that Spanish election stuff. Don't forget. I, I don't forget the Spanish election. Yeah. Max. Yes. You did not work on the biggest story, the biggest shyster story in the history of Brooklyn. Why did you not work on that story? Well, Gersh, I was too busy eating uh, good old Hershey bars like an American. There you go. So <laughs> anyway, the story we're talking about is the Mast Brothers, who are these hipster doofuses up there in Williamsburg who convinced everybody to pay $10 a bar of chocolate, have been exposed in some quarters as frauds for using some Valrona chocolate in their early bars. Now, they claim all their bars since the early days are completely officially 100% Mass Brothers chocolate. But Max, you know, you've been covering this story for a while, and you've been living in Brooklyn. You've been eating Brooklyn. Sure what do you think of the controversy? Well, you know, I, uh, I feel a little validated because I kind of want to, I have this knee-jerk reaction about uh, the, the uber-precious food that's coming out of certain parts of the borough. So, so in a way, I'm sort of reveling in this, as, as sad as that might be. You're, mm. You have a little bit of chocolate schadenfreude, which is a <laughs> German, sure word, German word for... Uh, sadness or uh, happiness at the misfortune of chocolate making people. Hmm. <laughs> you didn't know that German word, did you? Uh, I was aware of said German word. As, as you might know, my last name is uh, incredibly German. Jaeger. Well, it's great to have you here. The point is, the Mast Brothers, who sell $10 chocolate, I get it at the co op for like $6.50, I still don't buy it, and they're under fire. Now, as much as I want them to, to fail, come on, they're <laughs> under, this is crazy. This blogger, this Dallas food blogger, he wrote like a 20,000-word piece, quote-unquote, exposing them. And it, it's it – did you read it? It read like it was like, it was like the Pentagon Papers. <laughs> it's, it's very bitter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more bitter than any of the, anything they're serving up in Williamsburg. You know that. No, it was, it was vindictive. It was not just bitter. It, it, it read like somebody who was either turned down for a job or thought he had a better chocolate recipe. Oh, Big Coco won't listen to me. That's what it, that's what it read like. Yeah, he took he took him on a lot of levels too. Not only about the whole bean to bar thing, but it seems like he really went through interviews with these guys over the past six years or so and just dissected everything they said. Found every time that something didn't match yeah. up, even yeah. if it didn't have to do with the bean to bar. I know you're banging That's that like table like Khrushchev at the Germany. UN. That's how angry you are. Put your shoes back on. Yeah, please. Anyway, Max, if just for the record, you didn't cover the story. Correct. I understand out in your newsroom, and I'm going to tell tales out of school. One of your editors, not Vince DiMaselli, one of your editors said, no, Max, we're not going to work on that story. Uh, yeah, not specifically to me, but uh, I, I did hear an editor say something very similar to that. Yeah, hmm. yeah, and that was off the record. Well, we just put it on the record. That's <laughs> what we do. Max Yeager, great young reporter. Get the hell out of here. we got a lot of show to bring. Thanks for coming in, Max. Good luck. Thank you. Max, we got to take a break. And Max, before you go, do you suffer from back pain? I sure do. Wow, you're young. Get out of here. Do you know that there are 400,000 back surgeries every year? And do you know that 40% of them are unsuccessful? Unsuccessful? And I would do the math. That's like 100,000. No, it's like 200. I can't do the math, but 40,000. No, I'm not, not going to do it 400,000, really. Okay. So that's it's why a doc, lot. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. That's why doctors all over the United States are racing to acquire and get trained on the DRX 9000. You know this thing? The DRX 9000? Is that a new car? No. It's an FDA-approved non-surgical device that is saving thousands of Americans suffering from chronic back pain from having to go under the knife. So it's a motorcycle. He, no, no it's, 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 it's a big machine. Okay. Here in Brooklyn, Dr. Melinda Keller has been successfully treating patients with the DRX 9000, hmm. which offers documented success treating back pain, sciatica, herniated or bulging discs, which is what I have, degenerative disc disease, facet syndromes, and even all this other stuff, and even relapses from failed back surgery. That's how good this machine is. It's like you go back in time. Yeah. 
So what you should do is call the Brooklyn Spine Center now. Set up an appointment for a free consultation. That consultation's free. That's the best kind of consulta- consultation. All you got to do, call this number, 718. I'm going to say it again, so you'll write it down. 718-234-6207. Of course, you could go down to the Brooklyn Spine Center at 5911 16th Avenue in Brooklyn. You can go to the website at brooklynspinecenter.com. But to me, the best way, you call them. 718-234-6207. I love those guys at the Brooklyn Spine Center. And I'm Gersh Gunsman. I remember when I first interviewed you for a job, and I said, well, Gersh, you have a great voice for radio commercials. No, I, first of all, I, I stand by this particular company, the DRX 9000, is something that's going to save a lot of pain. <coughs> and look at me. <coughs> I'm coughing my guts out because I haven't used the DRX 9000. And we got to get some water for this guy. Yeah, we do. All right, listen, Vince, highlight of the show tonight, we are going to talk to Michael Moore, filmmaker mm-hmm. Michael mm-hmm. Moore, who has a new movie coming out called Where to Invade Next. Jimmy, why don't you play the interview, and we'll come back after, and we'll finish up the show. Great. Thanks, Jimmy. Well, you know, Vince, we have a rare privilege coming up in a second. We're going to have Michael Moore, the documentary filmmaker, Hmm, who's got a new movie out called Where to Invade Next. He's going to come on the show. And i got to tell you something, Vince. I've been watching this guy's work all the way back to Roger and me. He's Mm -hmm. a funny guy, and one thing I didn't know about him, he's a New Yorker. He lives on the Upper West Side. I did not know that. The other day... He invites his Upper West Side neighbors. Now, he's got about 1,000 people living in a building called the Bromley. And he said to his neighbors, come see the movie at the the movie theater right around the corner. Mm -hmm. 1,000 people saw the movie, Where to Invade Next. I was there because I just was invited as well. Had a good time. Enjoyed the film and said to myself, wait a minute. I'm not going to wait online with all of his neighbors to talk to Michael Moore. I'm press. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call him up the next day and tell him, hey, Michael, come on the radio show. Come on Brooklyn Paper Radio with Gersh Kunstman and the toughest questioner in the world, Vince DiMaselli. Yeah, right. So that's a bit of an honor that he actually said, you know what? Vince DiMaselli, I'll come on for him. (laughs) Wait, the name of the film is what again? Where to Invade Next. Now, that doesn't seem like a very Michael Moore title. It's not very Moorish, if you Well, because you think it's kind of of warlike. It seems that way, and he seems to be a pacifist. That's sort of the trick of it. It's Where to Invade Next. What it is is Moore basically invades, quote-unquote invades, all these other countries in Europe and Asia and Africa to steal back the best ideas. In fact, that might be him right now. We'll talk to him on, on the air. I'm going to pick this up, okay? Hello, you're on Brooklyn Paper Radio. This is Gersh Kunstman with Vince DiMaselli. Hi, I'm calling with Michael Moore. How are you? Well, it's great to have you on the show. What's your name? I'm Christina. I actually don't have him just yet. Well, we'll just keep talking. Call back when you have him. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's sort of interesting. That's the thing with these celebrities. They've got publicists to call for him. Anyway, the movie is called Where to Invade Next. The idea of it is he goes to these other countries and with, a, with an American flag, and he plants a flag in every country whenever he steals a good idea. So, for example, he's in Germany. Well, what's the great German idea? Uh, the hamburger and hot dog. But okay, that's we, not bad. We already have those. These were political ideas, Vince, but it's a nice idea. Oh. He goes to Germany, and what's the central thing that unifies the German people? It's admitting their mistake in the Holocaust. It's actually part of their, their lifestyle. Part of their DNA now. It really is. In yeah. fact, he interviews a, an immigrant, a, 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 new, a, newly, a, a, a newly Germanized immigrant who's from <laughs> Africa, and he says, 
as a German immigrant, even I accept responsibility for the Holocaust because it's wow. part of our culture. Wow. And so, he, so Moore's, Moore's idea was, you know, if we were more like that about, say, slavery or, or other failures that we've had over the years, mm-hmm. it might make us a better, more unified is, people. Is that part of, like, the German Pledge of Allegiance? Is, a, is that, like, a line in the German Pledge of Allegiance? It, it, it almost is. I don't know if it actually is. I don't speak German. And also, we apologize for the Holocaust. I mean, Deutschland über alles is no longer the anthem of Germany. Anyway, that's the German idea. Then he's in France, and you're thinking, Vince DiMaselli, what's the best idea that ever came out of French, oh. out of France that you didn't have to fry it? <laughs> no, the, be- uh, the best thing that ever came out of France for me is foie gras. Foie gras is nice, but you know you can't even make foie gras in these United States anymore because of all the bureaucrats. But anyway, oh. the idea that he brings back from France is so simple and so beautiful that I, 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 this is when I got teary. He sits down to a school lunch with a bunch of French public school students, and not in a rich Parisian neighborhood, uh-huh. but in somewhere in the Midi. They call it Le Midi. Le Midi. A very poor part of France. And they have a three-course meal with a cheese course, a meat course, no wine, mm. no vin, but mm. plenty of fromage, if you know what I'm talking about. I love that. Delicious meal. And it turns out that healthy meal that was made by a chef is actually cheaper per student than the school meals we serve. So, so he plants his flag and says, and we're bringing back, we're bringing that idea good, back here. Good meals for kids at lunch. I think they're, they are pushing for that, though, here in the city, aren't they? Well, New York City is way ahead of the rest of the country, as you know. We are ahead of the curve. So, Vince, it's great to see you as we wait for Michael Moore to call back. But I, as I said, I enjoyed the movie. I would have given it four stars. The Daily News is going to give it three and a half stars when the review comes out. I fought for that extra star. Mm-hmm. So, Michael the Moore. The extra half star? Uh, if you're hearing the sound of my voice, call us. Wait, you fought for a half star? or The extra half star. My reviewer wanted to give it three stars. I said, Mm -hmm. no way, Jose. What's the Daily News review format? Is it three out of five? Out of five, five? yeah. Out of five. And my reviewer's name is actually Jose. So when I say no way, Jose, it's fine. It's not not a slur that Michael Moore is going to have to report about. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you have uh, such a a diverse staff over there at the Daily News. You know what the best idea in Slovenia was? I'd love to hear it. Free higher education. Oh, so like you go to college for free, or is it just uh, are that what we're talking about? I mean, I just said free higher education. So college. What part of that didn't? You? Yes, well, free so college. You get confused. Free it's like high school. Free university. But I guess high education. school is free. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you could use a little of that free that, higher education. <laughs> it might have come in handy. I paid a lot of money for St. John's University, but not not as much as they pay to these days. Yeah. Look where it got you on the radio with Gersh Kunzman oh, and Michael Moore whenever he calls in. He might call in. The thing that I found best about, and the funny thing about the movie is. Yeah, it sounds like it's very earnest, but it's actually very funny. Mm-hmm. He goes to Slovenia and keeps calling it Slovakia. And then he meets with the Slovenian president. Well, and he, then refers to him as the Slovakian president. Was he in very che- funny. He was, so he wasn't in Czechoslovenia? Czechoslovenia. The former Czech Republic of Slovenia. <laughs> anyway, yes. look, Vince, I got to tell you something. It's just great to be here. <laughs> it's always I hope, who was that woman who called? What was her name, Catherine? I, I didn't get I really it. hope she calls again. Yeah, no, I'm sure they will. Hello. Oh, oh, Vince, there he is now. Hey, is that Michael Moore? Yes, it is. Oh, Mr. Moore, it's Gersh Kunstman here with the hardest questioner in the world, Vince DiMaselli. Thanks for joining us on Brooklyn Paper Radio. How are you? Not him, please, not him. <laughs> I know. I knew you'd say that. I knew you'd say that. Anyway, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I was telling Vince, because I had seen your movie uh, with your neighbors up on the Bromley on the Upper West Side, how much I enjoyed the film. And Vince and I had a bunch of questions about it. I want to start off with the basic, though. How many countries did you actually invade, quote-unquote, invade for the movie? Uh, Twelve. Twelve. Okay, now how many actually made the final cut? It was like seven or eight? Nine. Nine, okay. So, give because Vince hasn't seen it. I've told him about it. I want you to give him an idea of some of the countries you went to. We went to uh, France and Italy, Finland, Norway, um, uh, Slovenia. It wasn't Slovakia? Not Slovakia, Slovenia. Okay. 
they're, they're often confused. And, and often by you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, it's a, it's, I think it's a very common dyslexia, the Slovenia-Slovakia dyslexia mm. complex. But, um, yeah, those, those, are, those are in Tunisia, in, in Africa, we went to Tunisia. Mm-hmm. And basically what he finds, Vince, is that all these countries have all these great ideas for solving very specific problems. And I was telling Vince, you know, France, you had the great school meal. And Italy, you get these unbelievable vacation benefits and marital benefits uh, to the point where – tell us a little bit about Italy because you had, you're, you had like a jaw-dropping moment in that scene in the movie. Well, this Italian couple, one, one of them is a cop and another one works as a, as a buyer for a department store. By, by the way, they're, they're incredibly hot. <laughs> All the Italians were incredibly hot. I mean, the whole place looked, looked like – it looked like the full-time job there was to have sex and then they took breaks to work, you know, or make dinner <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they have anywhere from six to eight weeks paid vacation every year. And I was just blown away by that. But then on top of that, the woman starts to tell me how when they got married, uh, their honeymoon is pay, it's a paid vacation. They get 15 days, paid days off when you get married for your honeymoon. I mean, that's why I believe in polygamy. Italian polygamy would be the best thing. You get married, you get your two months or two weeks, you get married again. <laughs> this is, this, I, when I go back there, I'm going to share that idea with them. Exactly. That's what, an, an idea you can bring back from the United States. Well, yes, because we Americans, we can think of creative ideas like this. Sure. Uh, know, when I went to Italy, I was in Rome uh, during, I guess, during August, and they, they call it like the feria or something like that, and they all just disappear. Yeah. And they go down like they go down south, and you couldn't, like, do, I guess the, the message here is don't go to Rome in, in August because you, there's, there's nothing, nothing's open. Well, yeah, the funniest thing is if you, like, you go up to, a, like, an ice cream stand uh, in August and it's closed. I mean, like, the, the month people would be eating the most ice cream, nobody's there. Well, it, 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 you're making actually a good point that they have these wonderful worker benefits, which is a great thing. We'd love to bring that back. And you talk to the factory owner, for example, and he has no problem giving it to his workers because they're happier workers, they're healthier workers. But at the same time, could, could you bring an idea like that to America across the board? Would it work or is there some problem with us as people and as and as employers is that could you bring that idea back well i think we could yes i mean there is a problem with us and then part of the problem is that um our capitalism system our system of capitalism is a fear-based system it's based on uh the fear of, of of being broke uh the majority of americans i believe now live from paycheck to paycheck for the first time ever this month, uh, the, in the since World War II, I believe that the majority of Americans are no longer considered middle class. So it's it's uh, it, it would be hard to do. People would have to be not afraid, and um, but employers would soon see that productivity would go up. People happier workers make for a more productive uh, environment, uh, and uh, yes, I think it definitely it definitely could work. We should at least. There should at least be four weeks paid vacation for everybody who has a job. Well, you know, it's yeah. funny. I have four weeks paid vacation, and I don't even use all of it. And, and a vast majority of Americans don't use all their vacation days. So have we met the enemy and it is us? Well, why? Now let's ask ourselves that. Why, yes. Why is it, though, that, that, that's, a very, that's a very true fact that you just gave. Why don't we take the vacation days off to us? Is it because we're afraid that the boss won't look at us uh, properly or nicely because – you know, we're taking this time off and then we're, we're going to do better if we show we're a more committed worker. Or maybe it's uh, we're married to the wrong person and, and you're thinking, you know, four weeks off, uh, I don't know how we're going to get along. Um, 
I mean, there could be a lot of reasons why we'd rather work. If, I think most people are just afraid to lose their job. I yeah. think that's it. I think that's it. And I think it's because um, the way things are priced here. I mean, over there, we, we, we kept asking, does anybody have a second job? Nobody had a second job. Yeah. We went to the pencil factory in Germany. They're just making pencils there. They, but they make enough money where they do not need a second job. Wait, who's, make, who's using pencils? Exactly. That's what I said to him. He said they had their biggest year last year. I don't. Last year was their biggest year ever. I think that's a whole movie right there. Well, you know what it is? Probably every other pencil company went out of business. He's the last guy. Might have killed off the competition. They are German. Yeah. Uh, now, now, but you mentioned Germany. I was, I was telling Vince before that before you came on that the scenes in Germany were actually very touching. It, it, just for Vince's sake and the, and the listener, the the idea that that Michael Moore steals from Germany is this notion of national uh, kind of admitting when the country has done something bad. In the case of the Germans, obviously, I'm talking about uh, Frankfurters. No, I'm talking about the Holocaust, obviously. And even the German immigrant, the guy who just became a German, said, as a German, I take responsibility for the Holocaust. This is an Arab immigrant who's just been made a German citizen, and he says that he believes that he is responsible for the Holocaust and must make reparations to its victims because if he's going to call himself a German and be a German citizen... He doesn't just get the good with that. He also has to accept the bad, and that the bad is the, the history. I, I mean, he gets the good, which is the pencils, but, yeah, it gets the bad. And he gets to work a 36-hour week and pay, be, be paid for 40. Right. And the, and the way to apply that idea to us would be you were talking about slavery, but there's any number of kind of bad things about our country that we just don't talk about. Right. It, it, yes, we don't teach them in history class. Um, we don't own them. We're, we're, we're somehow we're afraid to say, yeah, we, you know, we screwed up, you know, we, we uh, but, you know, we're not like that anymore. And we're going to we're going to try and make things better. But, but what would admitting that do for us? Because, you know, people are very reluctant just as people, let alone as a country. Wh- what would that do for the national, you know, ideal? The same thing it does in any 12 step program. The first step is you to stand up and admit who you are and what you are. We are Americans. And we and I say, as I say in the movie, we live in a great country. But it's a country that was born in genocide, and it was built on the backs of slaves. And those ancestors of those slaves, they are still on the bottom rung of the economic ladder. Every other group that's come into this country starts at that bottom rung. You know, my family was Irish. You know, Italians were there. Jews were there. All, all groups go to that bottom rung, Asians. And then they all get to climb. They get to climb up a rung or two or five or ten. But who's still on that bottom rung? African-Americans. Well, I mean, the statistic that came out two months ago that the average, the median income household in, for, in, in white America, the, the actual amount of the assets that white, a white American family owns is now $111,000. The average black family, how much do they own in assets? 7100 Unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's like the woman in the, from Iceland says, how do you live with yourselves? White, white families, 111,000 in assets. Black families, 7,000 in assets. Yeah, I like those Icelandic women also in the movie. No, no, I like what they had to say. I like, they were very intelligent. Yeah. The, the first country that ever elected a female leader was Iceland. That's why he went there. Female president, yeah. that's right, yeah. You know, I, I, it's, t- it's time for us to bring in the tough, the tough questions, though. I mean, Michael, you have a reputation People slam you all the time. You're not patriotic. You're anti-American. I will say this in your defense before I let you say something in your defense. The movie doesn't come off that way, and I actually don't think any of your movies come off that way. But why are you constantly seen as an America-bashing, freedom-fry-eaten non-patriot? 
I'm, I'm not seen that way. I'm actually a beloved national figure. <laughs> That's true. I forgot that. But, <laughs> but why do you think people sometimes see you that way? You mean why do people who listen to Rush Limbaugh and watch Fox News 24 hours a day feel that way? Well, that's that's not nobody. So, yeah, why do you think they feel that way? Yeah, no, that's 20% of the population, which in a country this large, that's quite a few million people yeah. that have been told about a fictional character with the name of Michael Moore. And um, they, I mean, this got explained to me actually by a, a Republican pollster one night after maybe one too many drinks. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, when we saw Fahrenheit 9-11, Karl Rove and the, the campaign to reelect Bush in 04, after we saw your film and we, and we did some focus groups, we saw that there were actually Republicans that were convinced to not vote for Bush. And so we decided then that we had to not debate the movie, but to ruin you. <laughs> we had to smear at you so that people would feel unpatriotic going into even you know, seeing the, the movie. If, we, if they walked in that door and saw your movie, we were doomed. So we had to get them to not see it. And we did that by, by saying the things we said about you. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's boy, that's why you guys are good at what you do. Well, they could have just changed policy or changed approach, but rather they they decided to slam the movie. They slam the movie, yeah, because they didn't want to change policy. They wanted a war with Iraq, and they thought that would lead us to a much safer America. And of course, we all know how that's worked out. Well, you know, it's funny. You go on Fox News and other channels, and look, we're not partisan here in Brooklyn. We're an island of, of, of tranquility. But you go on those shows, and they talk about how all of the problems in the Middle East are Obama's problems. When you know, as you showed yeah. in those movies, so they are they are constantly living in an alternate reality, and basically they got discombobulated uh, when America twice elected a man as president whose middle name was Hussein. They still can't get over that, and as Bill Maher says, they 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 think of him as President Blackula, and um, uh, you know I, you can't help those people. But this movie isn't for them. Uh, you know, they're in their own bubble. But I did make this for the other 80% of our fellow Americans who I think do have a heart and have a conscience. And when they're presented with what I'm presenting them with in this film, and I do it in a, a very nonpartisan way, this is not a Democratic or Republican film. This is really just about common sense and all of us getting, you know, realizing we're in the same boat and we're going to sink or swim together. All right. Well, you know, this is Brooklyn Paper Radio, and we do have to bring it back to Brooklyn. So the, the question here is, we know you live in up there in Manhattan. Why... All your ideas fit in with a lot of what's happening here in Brooklyn nowadays. Why don't you live in Brooklyn? How come you haven't moved here yet? Everything you're saying makes you a Brooklynite. Yes. Well, when I when I, I live in Michigan, but I, I have so I have an apartment in Manhattan. I got that apartment in Manhattan when Manhattan was Brooklyn. Mm. When it was. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I remember on that, the corner across the street from my apartment, the, the, uh, there was the local crack dealer. Um, uh, hey, wait, what are you what are you saying about Brooklyn? Yeah, well, <laughs> but um, no, what I'm saying is is that is that that Manhattan used to have uh, artists, uh, musicians, filmmakers, uh, creative people could afford to live on Manhattan Island. And, and then uh, the hedge fund guys and the bankers and uh, everybody else sort of took over and moved uh, everybody off the island. And so, so Brooklyn became one of those places. Jersey City is one of those places. There's lots of other places in the area here that have a much more, a much more thriving uh, community uh, of, 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 and diverse uh, of, 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 you know, New Yorkers and Americans. That sounds like your next movie is going to be about gentrification in Brooklyn. No, I no. think somebody's got to make a really funny movie about Brooklyn because it is. You've got to admit the the sort of. Uh, 
the the hipster quotient of oh. it is, is you're, pretty funny. You're talking about my forthcoming musical at the Fringe Festival this summer, Murder at the Food Co-op, already yeah. being already being <laughs> written, Michael. I'm on Hattie on that. All right, we got to get out. We got to ask. We got to ask you the toughest question that you're going to face today, because no one's got the guts to ask you this one. Thank God. No. Where are you on Star Wars, pro or con? I have my tickets for the 12:50 a.m. show tonight. Wow. Uh, so. Uh, in 3D actually, or or regular? Uh, regular. No, I don't want to see this in 3D. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll see it later in 3D, but there's there's very few movies you should see in 3D. Right. Um, but I'm seeing it in 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 2D in a theater that shows 2D uh, because I, I want the bulb and the lens to be right. But are you are you a whole Star Wars kind of nerd, geek, fanatic? Oh, yeah. No, totally. I mean, yes, I couldn't wait. I mean, I actually had, to tell you the truth, I had tickets for the 9 a.m. show this morning, but I had to do all this press today, so I wasn't able to, to go. So then I went online and I grabbed the only seat left at the at the uh, 12.50 in the morning midnight show tonight. Wow, Michael Moore seeing Star Wars alone. I know, I'm seeing it alone. I was gonna, <laughs> I had somebody to go with this morning. I had nobody to go with tonight, so I'm just going by myself. Jesus, that, that, that's the greatest story ever. Our regrets. Well, you know what? You, it's the kind of movie you can kind of just, you've seen all the previous movies. You, you really just want to zone out. I saw it the other night, and I enjoyed it. I won't, I won't spoil anything. should have gave us a call. We would have taken you over to the uh, the Bam Harvey Theater where they're shown in beautiful old theater. It's fantastic. Oh, I, know. I had my premiere there last week, and I would have loved to see Star Wars there. But, mm. but no, and, and you know, I'm, one, I'm actually one of the few people I actually like Star Wars 3. I did too. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a, just a beautiful allegory about Bush and Cheney. And, uh, <laughs> it was pretty open about it, right? It was pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he did. I know. <laughs> I actually ran into George Lucas and I asked him about it. And he goes, yeah, it was kind of obvious, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty <laughs> yeah. obvious. <laughs> All right, we got to get out. Michael Moore, when does Where to Invade next open? It opens next Wednesday, December 23rd. It's one week only, uh, uh, and then uh, it'll be in theaters everywhere, including here on February 12th. But it's next Wednesday, December 23rd, uh, at the Lincoln Plaza and the Angelica on Manhattan Island. Well, if, and if you can hear the sound of my voice, and I'm not a partisan, Michael Moore. you got to know that. I, I, I'm a Brooklynite, first and foremost, but I would say if you can hear the sound of my voice, go see it. It's an enjoyable movie, and it's funny. People forget that a documentary can be funny, even about important topics like that. So, Michael Moore, thank you for joining us. Yeah, Mike, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad you've got this podcast. I'm going to tune into it now. Yeah, you, we'll you just were on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I've never listened to it. Now I am. There you go. He's a, he's a, he's a fan. Why don't you tweet your million, million and a half or whatever followers. Tell you've, him. You've made me a fan because you've asked me questions I haven't been asked all day. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, enjoy the movie all alone tonight. <laughs> I will. <laughs> See you, man. Thank All right, you. take care of yourself. Crying in my popcorn. <laughs> I gotta say, nice to have Michael Moore on the show. He's good man. Michael I enjoyed, Moore. I enjoyed that. Well, Jimmy, cut him off. Yeah, good guy. That was fantastic, Gersh. You know, I gotta say, Vince, that really was a coup for us. That interview, getting Michael Moore. He's like I said, where to invade next? Opening up uh, around Christmas Day. Yeah, that was. Uh, it was really, really uh, great. Great. Uh, great talking to him, and uh, great to have him on the show. It's fantastic. But you know, and we, you know, he's a fan, which is great. We ask the tough questions. We gotta pay for this show, though. And yeah, there's we do. one way I do that, and I tell you a little bit about the Brooklyn Spine Center, because Brooklyn Spine Center, along with Atlas Take, has two of our big, big advertisers. So look, but I know about back pain, Vince, because I got degenerative disc disease. So when I say, well, look, low back pain has kept me and others on the sidelines of life, unable to do the things that make me active and happy. But there are non-surgical spinal decompression at Brooklyn Spine Center that's going to get me back in the game. Spinal decompression has been proven effective in relieving the pain associated with bulging and herniated discs, degenerative disc disease, sciatica, 
and even, yes, even failed back surgery. You know how they do it? They got a machine called the DRX-9000. It's a spinal decompression device that applies a distraction force to relieve nerve compression that cause low back pain and sciatica. That force, that pumping action, allows the body's own nutrients to flow back into the affected disc and helps revitalize the injured area. You want to know more, Vince? I know you do, because I do. <laughs> Contact Brooklyn Spine Center at 718-234-6207. I'm going to read that again. You get your initial consultation with Dr. Melinda Keller. She'll determine what's right for you, because she knows. She touches your back. She figures it out. She does x-rays. The number again, 718-234-6207. You could visit the website at brooklynspinecenter.com, or you can even, I guess, stop by Brooklyn Spine Center at 5911 16th Avenue in Brooklyn. Brooklyn Spine Center and the DRX 9000. Vince, wow. what do you think of that? I, th I think it's fantastic. It's the real deal. Yeah, it's going to be Listen, I spoke to uh, a friend of mine, Tim Joyce, this week. and uh, I he, love Tim Joyce. Yeah, he was the only guy I know who, who uh, picked up on my Ben Gardner joke last week. Do you, did you, do you remember that? I remember the joke, and I remember thinking that nobody's going to get that joke. Yeah, well, he came in, and he said, no, Ben Gardner did take care of the, the Ben Gardner's boat was, was brought in. It was brought in by, by Dewey or something, the guy from, uh, the, guy from uh, the, the deputy sheriff there, uh, Roy Scheider's uh, little deputy. Now, you know, on the side, when we had Michael Moore off on the side, before we played you the interview we played you, he was talking about how much he liked a good steak. And Vince was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you just said that. We just signed <laughs> Atlas Steakhouse, not only as an advertiser, but I went down there on Coney Island Avenue. Tell us about it, Vince. Yeah, well, Atlas Steakhouse offers a selection of premium cuts aged on site for perfect texture and taste. They have an extensive list of vintage wines. They have expertly mixed classic and signature cocktails and signature appetizers guaranteed to stimulate, stimulate your palate. Atlas Steakhouse has your choice cut steak crafted into a culinary masterpiece just for you. There's also delightful desserts, each sweeter than the last. Atlas Steakhouse is a complete, unique dining experience. And as you know, Atlas Steakhouse is always a cut above the rest. Atlas Steakhouse at 943 Coney Island Avenue. You can find them online at atlassteak.com. I love the way you get to read the steakhouse ad. Oh. And I'm like dying here because I got back pain. So they know well, Gersh Kunstman's reliable in that. And you open. Oh, I'm not reliable on steak. I'm reliable on steak. Well, I'm, I've been a steak lover my whole we life. Got, we got time for one more topic. Wait, and the I, Spanish it, election? No, it's not going to be the Spanish election. I know you're obsessed with that. I want to just recap. Thanks to our... Thanks to our uh, sponsors, Atlas Steak and the Brooklyn Spine Center. But, of course, thanks to Michael Moore for joining us today. Oh, it was great to have Thanks him. to Max Yeager, who came on the show and talked a little really? bit about yuppie chocolate. The Jägermeister. Got to thank David Yansky, former councilman here from Brooklyn Heights. Yeah, he did. He came on the show for us. That and, of nice. course, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Paul McCartney for kicking off the morning paper segment with his, oh, his land grab for a T-shirt. <laughs> Jimmy, can we hear that morning paper song one more time? Because I just love it. I just I threw it. There it is. You know what, Gersh, we got five minutes. Let's go out this week. I know we're playing Morning Papers. Let's go out with, with Max Yeager's song. Oh, you got Max Yeager's song? Yeah, Max Yeager's song is uh, Don't Crowd Me. Don't Crowd Me. Let's play that out, and that'll be the end of the show. Play us out there, Jimmy. I want to thank my co-host and cohort, Vince DiMaselli, one of the greatest men I know. You cannot, you cannot no, you slip cannot. a playing card between Vince DiMaselli and Gersh Kunstman. And we don't have the song, so we're going to go out with our... <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, Thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy, i got to come over there and show you where it is? We are going to go out with our normal song. This is um, the Filthy Animals out of Bushwick. Let's hear him, Jimmy. Let's just play us out. And thank you, Vince. Oh, Gersh, as always, a pleasure.
There they go. Filthy animals. We'll see you next week on Brooklyn Paper. No, you won't see us next week. We're taking off the Christmas holiday. And I say Christmas. I don't say Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah. Happy Christmas. We'll see you in the new year. All right. Great. Thank you.